We are in a series over Christmas, rediscovering uh, Christmas in uh, at very difficult times. And uh, it is great news, but the seasons of our time sometimes uh, cause us to be a little deaf to the good news that is Christmas. And so we're trying as, as we walk along to uh, open our hearts and the eyes of our understanding to no matter what is going on in our surroundings and our immediate environment, that God is in control. And there is hope, there is love, there is peace, and there is joy in this season because a child was born. Amen. We're so glad you're here today. We have had a fantastic, uh, you know, uh, December. It's hard to believe that we are rolling into uh, Christmas here, just coming up. I just want to give an extra plug. I know they will at the end of the service too, to our Christmas Eve service. It is always a highlight for us as a church. And I invite you to come, candlelight uh, service uh, on Christmas Eve. It will be a great time. And as you're going to linger today and hang around before you completely exit, we have a, we have a gift for you. And hopefully that will get you ready as you, as you get ready to roll into Christmas. How many of you are completely done with Christmas shopping and you're ready for, okay, how many of you are a little bit behind and uh, you're praying that you'll get some extra time and money this week? <laughs> right. Well, God has uh, something great in store for us this morning. If you'd open your, your Bibles to, uh, we're going to take a look at the story of the angel's coming and presenting the great message to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And when you find your place there, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is a Savior, uh, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And they were saying, let's read this together, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told concerning this child. And all those who had heard it marveled at those things which were told them. By the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Heavenly Father, we invite you, your precious Holy Spirit, to bring life to these words today. God, to help us to understand the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love of what has been accomplished through Christ on our behalf. That we might look beyond our immediate circumstances, our sometimes depression and discouragement, and that we might see the light of the hope of Christ, and we might lay hold of the joy and the peace and the love that you have provided for us as we invite you to be Lord and leader of our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. I think it's interesting that the first people to hear the Savior's birth weren't rich and powerful, uh, but poor and unimportant shepherds going about their daily work. God came to them not because they were engaged in deep devotion and worship. They were engaged simply in the work that was set before them. It is likely among them that some of them were there for the love of the work. Generationally, they had a passion for this, and they wanted to do it. They wanted to be a shepherd. They looked forward to it. There were things about it they loved, like all of us have occupations, and the routines of those occupations bring a sense of, of comfort and joy to us. There's something we're good at, something we enjoy, something we understand. But there were likely also those who were there because they had no other choice. This was their lifelong occupation. They had not the education, uh, the, the, the uh, heritage to, to get them anywhere else. This was as good as it was going to get out there in the fields being a shepherd. But without belaboring this point too far, suffice to say, the reach of God is not contingent upon your sacrifice and devotion. It's always been driven by His love. God has often come to visit you in the routine of your day. Not waiting for you to do something spectacular, not waiting for you to jump up and down, to shout loudly, to uh, do something that would be of a religious kind of a nature or, or in some way uh, is, is, is a practice that you thought you needed to do to get him into the environment and circumstances, situations. Not even waiting for your 911 call in the sense of an emergency. But God has often come to visit you in the routine of your day at work when you are engaged in doing what you do, God has often come to visit you, as he did the shepherds. Now, how we respond to his visitation will result in either a peace of mind or a lack of peace of mind, right? Our response to God's visitation into our daily routine sets uh, for us a, a, a guide for how we're going to live out that day, that week, and that month in the sense of God's peace watching over us, anchoring us. You see, peace has never been the accomplishment of mankind. It always comes from God. I, I wonder sometimes at what it will be like uh, when Christ returns and the millennial reign of Christ begins because you and I have really, you know, we, we talk about it like, I just need some peace and quiet, right? And to us, 
you know, we're, we're, we're away from duty, we're away from, you know, kids demanding our attention, we're away from, you know, the, the work environment, maybe we're sitting next to a creek and we can hear that creek running and, and you know, we're alone with our thoughts and we have a sense of like, that's, that's peace. We have not ever even broached upon what peace is going to really be like in the constant presence of the Lord. When all of the thieves have been stayed from thieving, right? When all of the liars have been stopped from lying, when all of the murderers are held back from murdering, when all of the things that you and I have feared and worried about are no more, all of our fears are gone. All of our anxieties and all of our worries and all of our cares are cast upon him. Then we know peace. The peace that only God can bring. As we look at this part of the Christmas story, I really want you to notice four things in the text um, that are endemic to the shepherd's response. And it's important for us to understand these in light of our response to the Christmas story. The first one is, and they're all D words if you're taking notes today, the first one is decision. Text opens by saying, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. (laughs) Let's go see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. When God visits us in the routine of our day and in our work and and all along the path of our life, it is an invitation for us to make a decision to do something. It's Moses walking through the desert, minding his own business, tending to the sheep, and there's a bush that's on fire, and Moses says, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to turn and look at this bush. And see why it is not consumed. This is something different. God's visitation, His presence is calling me to make a decision. And and it's, it's, it's awesome to see in the opening of this, the decision that was made by the shepherds. Let's go and see this thing. A corporate kind of gathering. I mean, they saw the miraculous and the presence of God appear in the heavens, but it could have, there could have been some of those among them that said, you know, um, this is, I can get in a lot of trouble, man, if I, if I wander off and, and go and check something out and the sheep get lost or, or maybe a, a wolf or a lion comes and consumes one or two or more of them. You know, I can be in a lot of trouble. I, I need to stay right here. But they made a corporate decision that this was more important than life's duties. This was more important than the mundane of the day. This was more important than what they had labeled as important. I had a conversation with a guy this week. I was telling Michelle, it was kind of like one of those Holy Spirit encounters. I'd gone to wash my car, and, it, and I'm waiting for them to finish up. This guy is also waiting. We start a conversation, and, and uh, it leads to, to just kind of this impassioned plea. Uh, he had, uh, was discussing you know, how, uh, about God and about our season 
about our times and what's going on. And, and I've you know, just begun to talk about how it's so important for us right now to model for our children and to model for all of those that are around us. What is the priority of our time? To put God first, to make Him first. Yeah. Said, in so many ways, we're showing our world and we're showing our children that other things are more important than God. Our life on earth is like that, and eternity goes way beyond that. And we're pouring everything we have into this little fraction of time that is here on the planet earth. And God is calling to us to live eternally, to proclaim the good news to the world that is around us. You see, what the shepherds do next is in this invitation is, is pivotal to their story. There is no kingdom for pacifists. <laughs> Can you imagine what that kingdom would look like? Please respect our walls and the surrounding kingdom that we have here. Not a chance. Open the gates. Oh, oh, but uh, we, we, we just be kind. We'll open the gates, but be kind to the, the people inside. Be nice to them. Give us your money. Okay, we'll give you the money, but just leave us some food. Give us your food. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, that's okay, we'll give you the food, but just please allow us to have our shelter, our homes. Get out. Okay, well, we're leaving. <laughs> uh, please close the gates behind you and take care of our city. <laughs> There's no kingdom for pacifists. And so the shepherds made a decision that they were going to move in the direction that God was calling them. Let's go see this thing that God has done. Let's go see it. It may not have seemed like it, but the birth of Christ was a well-timed invasion. And I believe that because of the spectacular things that were going on in that field, the shepherds hearing angels and all of this, that it, that it really was, a, there was a sense of there's an invasion taking place. Let's go check this thing out, man. There is something happening. They, it would unfold over the 33 plus years or so of Christ that that invasion was an invasion of peace. But they, they were wondering, wow, with all of the signs and wonders, could this be the overthrow of the Roman government? Could there be something uh, magnificent about this? Let's go and see what is happening. And of course, I think it's all settled when you get there and you see that it isn't a mighty army standing there with a great king in front, but it's a baby. God sent a baby. Oh, this changes the story. It's an invasion of peace. Genesis 4 and 4 tells us about this invasion. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was good news. It was packaged in flesh, protected by the Creator of all things. The first was the decision of the shepherds to go and see. Secondly, was the discovery once they got there. And it says it, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Any religious journey that does not lead to discovery of Jesus is a waste of time, yeah. effort, and resources. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3-5 through 5 reads, Blessed be 
the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Christianity is the discovery of the one who chose us from the beginning of time, the one who has purpose for us, the one who designed us, the one who loves us with an eternal love. Those who seek Jesus always find Jesus. They don't find a counterfeit or something else. When they honestly go and seek Jesus, they find him. I was having a conversation uh, last week, and my aunt was here, and my mom, and my aunt was talking about a particular televangelist that had an a, a, um, a, a overly charismatic personality that, that went out, and uh, there was a lot of showmanship in, in what happened, uh, and I won't call him by name, but and I had had a problem with this personality. And yet, you know, there were things that were happening that God was using this individual. And uh, when he came to our city in Phoenix, I sensed that God was telling me to go and be a part of that convention. And uh, there was 15,000, 20,000 people downtown Phoenix that came to this, uh, noted for uh, miraculous things, uh, his ministry, the healings and things like this. And... and uh, the showmanship was what bothered me, not the signs and wonders of what God was doing. I had no doubt that God was, was doing some great things. And when I got there, uh, there was an immediate thing that happened. Michelle and I were seated, uh, and in front of her, she recognized uh, her doctor. And uh, so she started having a conversation with this woman, and, and uh, she said she had come by invitation of the people that were sitting next to her. And she did not know Christ, and uh, she was just curious and had come at their invitation and was sitting in this great auditorium with thousands of people. And so the worship begins, and God begins to do some. And, and we notice that as things are progressing along, there are steps in her journey. You can just visibly see them start happening in this doctor's life. And she is she's sensing and feeling the presence of God in the worship. She turns to her friends at a particular moment, and we watch them lead her in the sinner's prayer right there, and she accepts Christ as Lord and Savior of her life. And this is long before the personality arrives and all the fanfare and things are going on. And we're watching this miracle, maybe the greatest miracle of all. You know, it's, We think of uh, great miracles as somebody's eyes being opened or the lame walking, and we did see some things like that happen, ears, deaf ears open. But this, to me, was the greatest miracle right in front of us. Somebody who didn't know Jesus was making a commitment to Jesus because God was visiting them in their day, in the routine of their day. He came calling, and they answered the call, and they went to go see what was going on, and the discovery was Jesus. They found Jesus. And it was kind of in that moment that God spoke to me and said, you know, and, and I don't mean to demean this personality or other people, but it was like, kind of like this that I sensed God was saying to me, it doesn't matter who's up there. It could be Bozo the Clown. 
You know, I don't know if any of you are familiar. I was very familiar with Bozo as the Clown, you know. Kind of afraid of him, to be honest, you know. <laughs> Having grown up watching him. So it could be Bozo the Clown. These people came to see me. And I'm showing up. <laughs> and I was like, well, praise God. You know, here I was from a distance kind of casting stones mentally. I had never done anything uh, from the pulpit to dissuade or discourage people from listening to any of those personalities. But in my mind, kind of casting stones at it, and God's just saying, these people came to see me and I'm showing up. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter who's up there. It really doesn't. And he got up there later, and there was a little showmanship, you know, the things that I'm not. But we also saw the miraculous, and we saw people who were hungry to know God. People who were desperate, who were desperate to be healed, were healed. People who come looking for Jesus find him, because he loves you. So I think the question for us is, who are we seeking? The question that we need to be asking the generations around us and the people that God has placed us among is who are you seeking on your journey? You're going to discover who you're seeking and there are some who are seeking themselves through identity and all kinds of things and they keep seeing themselves in different ways and identifying, with different, identifying themselves through different people groups. But when they finally decide to seek Jesus... They will find Jesus. Amen? Just as the shepherds did, they found the baby Jesus. And then there is the, the, the declaration in this passage. It says, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which they had been told by the shepherds. We have all, everybody in this room, I think, has probably held a baby at one time or another. We have little uh, Amelia now, and uh, we're holding her. And it was funny, we had a birthday party for, uh, Amanda and Austin had a birthday party for Eleanor, her sister. And uh, Nick was there, and, and Nick had said, I've never held her, let me hold her. And so he goes to like, you know, he's thinking there's going to be some weight here. And it's like, whoa, there's no weight. She's so light. <laughs> And it was a, a discovery that we've all made when we hold a tiny baby, right? And we've all made statements about these tiny babies, something like, how cute. Uh, we've said, she has her mother's eyes. We've said things like, the baby is so good in church, right? Or we've made a statement like, what a precious smile. But I'll bet none of you have said about a baby what Simon in scripture, Simeon said about this child, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit. We'll go back and, and read a little bit about him in, in Luke chapter 2, 25 to 32. It said, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the coming together of Israel, for the peace of, of God to come in the form of the Messiah. He was awaiting, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was a custom, 
of the law required. In other words, it was, it was time for his, uh, to, him to be circumcised. Simeon took him in his arms. He grabbed the baby. And he praised God saying this, and you've never said this about a baby. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What we have in Christ is the good news that the world has been waiting to hear. Isaiah prophesied that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There's no king that has ever ruled without counselors and advisors. We don't know any of them. And if, if, if they had a great season of, of rule, and we do know about them in history, and uh, they have some fame attached to them, we can study the record and find that they had good counselors and advisors around them, and they listened to that good counsel and that advice. We have record of that in Scripture. The, the king of Egypt, who was not a godly, uh, or Pharaoh of Egypt, who was not a godly man, trusted the one that God sent, Joseph, to give him instructions for his nation and preserve them from a great famine that was about to come. We have countless stories like that where advisors and counselors stepped up and made great men greater, right? You always know a great man or a great woman. Is there's, there's Around them and beside them are great leaders, right? So if you, if you ever look to someone and say, hey, they are really an awesome person, know that they had awesome parents. They, they had awesome people surrounding them, great leadership around them. We all kind of know that, right? But can you imagine... The fame of these, these historical kings, you know, is attached to their advisors, is attached to their counselors. But you and I have a king in Jesus who has no counselor or no advisors. Yeah. He is the counselor and he is the decision maker. And, and here are the shepherds now looking into the face of the one who has, who, uh, whose kingdom uh, it will rule over all, is never-ending, it's the kingdom of peace, and he doesn't need an advisor, and he doesn't need a counselor. How many of you tried to be God's advisor or counselor <laughs> in your lifetime? I think we all have had a little advice for him, you know? If you just make the giraffes, uh, you know, uh, next shorter and the trees not so high, everything would be cool. We're all about giving God advice, Right? And, and, and God doesn't need an advisor, and he doesn't need your counsel, right? And so here they are, moving to the point of declaration that they want to tell the world about this, this king who has no advisors, who has no counselors, who makes decisions, and, 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 it's, and he is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to bring a kingdom of peace. And then finally, in their departure, it says, Then the shepherds, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I've written in uh, recent months uh, on some blog posts, uh, compelled to do so for a number of reasons, um, 
about the dangers of Christians getting engaged in a, in a Christian deconstructionist movement. There has always been deconstructionist in, in the world and in the Christian movements as well, but every generation has these, it's a deconstructionist who seek to remove and discard beliefs, laws, normatives of society that, that no longer fit with their postmodern ideas of, of culture and practice, and so they, they go away at stripping these things to the fabric. We're experiencing that as a nation in America right now, the deconstructionists are working on, was this really a good, solid uh, you know, reason to build a country, and is, is there a good sound, is, it, you know, is the Constitution uh, worthy of, of, of what it's been given in terms of, of, of credit and merit? And so that, too, uh, applies in Christianity that people look to scripture and they go, well, you know, maybe this is not all what, you know, all of what God meant or what he said. And, and it's, it goes all the way back to the, the uh, serpent in the beginning, right? In Genesis telling, you know, that's not surely what God said. Let me clarify it for you, you know. <laughs> Here, let me just help you out and give you a better understanding. And, and these articles that, that I've written and things that, uh, and even in, in messages and sermons that God has, the, the, what, what has been the, 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 the emphasis for it, you know, the, um, the conviction on me about it is, is there's a real danger for both young and older Christians who are now tearing away at religious practices. Uh, there are things to their mind that are misguided teachings of the historical church. And, and uh, the real danger is this, that if there is no Christ foundation, and you tear away the religious practice, you have nothing, and you have no reason to continue in faith. Deconstructing and tearing things down without a foundation being there will lead people, and we've seen it in our lifetime, Michelle and I have in pastoring, where people have torn away at the fabrics of religiosity, they've torn away at things, but they never had the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when they get down to it, there's no reason then for them to live in it. There's a, there's a professor in, in, in North Carolina who uh, is uh, a, a noted theologian and, and respected, has written numbers uh, of, of books about Old and New Testament. He's an he's expert, if I mentioned his name, uh, many of you would, would recognize him. And a friend of mine who was a, a, a pastor's kid sat under him uh, as a professor and, and uh, as this, this professor was, was stripping away and deconstructing his own religion, uh, my friend began to do the same because he respected this guy. And, and the problem was when, when they both got down to the foundation, they had never really built their foundation in Christ. They'd never really anchored in Jesus Christ. And, and, and as a result of that, that's the real danger of tearing away at these things before you get this foundation firm and solid in you. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Is that when you get to the bottom, then there's no reason for your faith anymore. But this is just a 2,000-year-old book that people just, just are having religious practices. They're just way overboard. And uh, there may be some kind of a higher power up there. And, you know, it moves you to a place of being kind of not, not so much an atheist but agnostic. You know, there's probably something uh, that people would refer to as a God, but I don't know it, and we have no personal interaction with that, and so I'm just going to live my life out right now. It's a real danger in deconstructionism. 
if there is no foundation, when it's all torn away, there's no faith. The hymn writer penned these words that are true to Scripture and true to my heart. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me and sing the chorus to this? I want to read it again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. Sing these words with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Invite our worship team to come as they're coming. We're today, we're coming to the Lord's table to remember what was accomplished on our behalf. Every time that I have torn away at the fabrics of dogma that doesn't necessarily isn't biblical or things that I've been challenged by the Holy Spirit who illuminates the word of truth to us that are just a part of you know, religiosity and really aren't a part of our faith. <clears throat> when I get it stripped back, there's a solid foundation in Jesus Christ yeah. that's always kept me anchored. I have something to build on. And what Jesus accomplished for us in his life was to secure for us a, a place of permanency in eternity, a place of hope, a place that uh, where we have uh, eternal value with God through Christ Jesus. The suffering that took place at the cross where Jesus, even before leading to the cross, Jesus' body was wounded, was for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of my sin and your sin was upon him, that with his stripes... We are healed. 